Welcome. You're listening to Systematic on the 5x5 Network. I'm Brett Terpstra. This is episode three, and bandwidth for this month, July 2012, is sponsored by Infinite Kind, the makers of SyncSpace for iPad and Android. It enables multiple people to sketch ideas together wherever they are. Learn more at infinitekind.com. This week, I have a special guest, Eric Linder. Hi, Eric. Hi. Uh, Eric uh, uh, grew up nerding around with Macs and computers in general, and uh, and now after a long journey, he is a rabbi in Athens, Georgia. Uh, so, Eric, uh, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little about how one ends up as a rabbi? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm an only child, and when I was graduating high school, I realized that I was going to be not living in my parents' house after high school, and I kind of wanted an experience that would kind of get me ready for that next step. And so I ended up working at a Jewish summer camp, which is uh, not too far from where I am now in Georgia. It's in a small town called Cleveland, Georgia, which is known um, – because it's the home of the Cabbage Patch doll, Cleveland, Georgia is. And basically that experience really, the, the way I put it is it, it helped me kind of grow into myself socially, educationally, it, it, and under the canopy of Jewish life. And so kind of moving through the ranks of that camp, uh, I went from being a, a saxophone performance major to then a history major uh, with the idea of being a rabbi, which ended up happening. So it was it was in the plan from pretty early on. You know, it, it it was in terms of college. I would say around my sophomore junior year. But my my real dream job was to be the saxophone player for James Brown, and then uh, that obviously couldn't happen when he passed away. But uh, I, I wanted to be a musician for a long time. Um, Judaism was always in my life I, as a reform liberal Jew. It was it was certainly part of my identity. Um, it didn't become a huge part, though, until about 2021. Well, I'm certain that had James Brown not passed away, you would be playing with him right now. Uh, Brett, you, you and my mom. Thank you. <laughs> my, my two biggest supporters. We were talking this weekend about workflows and tagging and filing and scanning and OCR. And uh, you, you get a chance to play around with some of the things that we discussed. Uh, what what new questions have you come up with? What uh, what have you figured out? What's exciting right now? Well, you know, as we talked about, I, I uh, I've become really in the last I would say six months kind of a my geekery is in my own estimation taken a new level, and and OmniFocus is a big part of that. You know, the, this Mac task manager application. And, you know, one of my issues with it is, is I've, I've grown so comfortable with it that I literally have, um, I mean, I could, I could look and tell you the exact number. I, I probably have about 1,100 items in there from things I want to do at Temple, classes I want to teach, sermons I want to write, blog post ideas to large scale ideas like um, the name of a book that maybe someday I'll write or I, I want to do stand up comedy. So I have some s- snippets that I could add in that. And, I'm just not sure uh, if I'm using it most effectively because it, it's become somewhat unwieldy at this point. And I don't really use contexts the way I think they should be used or the way they're supposed to be. And so kind of all, all those sorts of things are, are is one aspect of this productivity paradigm that I'm thinking about. So essentially you are a nerd. 
I think, absolutely. I think every everyone who considers himself a nerd probably does so because they've been through things like that, uh, <laughs> these fiddling moments. I think contexts are a perfect example of nerds overthinking uh, their systems. If you have to sit down and spend an hour figuring out what your perfect contexts are, maybe contexts aren't the right uh, right way to go for you. Not you personally. I just I'm I'm saying this out of experience. I have spent way too much time trying to figure out exactly how I want to use contexts, almost as much as I have with tags. And as we talked about this weekend, uh, I, I've I've got the tags thing figured out for me personally. I I know how to make that work for me. I still don't know how to use a context. Yeah, and and it, it, I'm also to the point where every post I read, I'll adopt that person's paradigm for a few days. So I, I've gone through kind of probably eight or nine, and, and some some ideas have stuck. Um, that I, I forget the the author of the book. It, it's kind of the book on OmniFocus. I I, I bought it on. Um, Amazon. It's like 600 pages. Karosh, I think, is his first name, and uh, he did. He does something with contexts that that I like in terms of a, a waiting for workflow. Yeah, which works for me because I make a lot of phone calls where I'll leave a message for someone, and I do want to follow up with them if they don't call me back. And so things like that are helpful. But yeah, I, I'm all over the place with you know office, home, not office, not home, and. I, I never look at them. So then it's like, okay, what, what's the point? Hey, I'm the exact same way in uh, so many of those regards. Like jumping back to where you said you adopt people's workflows when you read about them and wait for something to stick. That's exactly I, – I, I've actually come to consider that um, my intentional way of working, whereas it used to just be mm. – uh, used to be scary to me that I was so, like, flighty about things. Now, now I think it's uh, – if I read something and it makes sense to me and I say, well, that looks like it would actually work for them. Let's see if it works for me. I'll give it a shot for two days. If it sticks, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it further. If I'm at all questioning it after two days, then I'll, I'll drop it and go back to an established system. But I'm perfectly willing to try out other ideas and not because, not because there's anything innately wrong with the system I have at that time. I just... I have this strong desire, and I think it's common um, among my ilk, our ilk, uh, to just want to experiment, always want to find something that might be better. No, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I did this thing with Text Expander the other day where I wanted to find the perfect snippet for <laughs> the um, like command option control keys, and I probably spent 30 minutes on it. And so hopefully I'll, that will save me some time, but... Probably not as much as I as you know. I don't know if the payoff is going to be a sum zero in in terms of worth it, but in terms of figuring out the, the snippet, it, I'll I'll spend much more time doing that than the actual typing of what I need to do. I'm going to tell you what I did between the end of work and calling you tonight, um, and it's it's going to make you feel much better. <laughs> I needed, I'll take it. Okay, I needed a bundle ID. Uh, for an application. So like the, the com.omnifocus, uh, omnigroup.omnifocus identifier. And that's located in a plist file. And so I knew, I figured out in about maybe 40 seconds how I could rapidly get it. But then I thought, 
there could be a way to make this a shortcut. And then I spent 45 minutes scripting, trying to find, and, and I scripted the first one in about, in about five minutes. And, uh, it was a basic, like, uh, uh, find and grep tool. And then I realized that I could actually expand through multiple folders. And now that apps are localized and are sometimes a folder deep off of applications, it's getting harder to predict and with containers, um, and so I started using Spotlight, and I started using uh, uh, Spotlight metadata with MDLS to start uh, kind of uh, searching it as metadata instead of as files. And and then I had to test the speed of that against the speed of just using the older Unix tools. And in the end, uh, I deleted the whole thing <laughs> because yeah. I, I realized if I if I stop right now and I go to Stack Overflow, I'm gonna find someone who's already solved this. I'm gonna feel like I'm wasting my entire life. So I just I stopped and and I erased it. And other than the fact that I just told everybody who listens to this show that I did that, um, it never happened. And th- this is why I don't want to learn AppleScript because I will I will be right there with you. But I just don't have the knowledge to even get into it, which is fine by me. So, like, uh, back to workflow, we, we talked a little bit about PDFs um, and and how and why you're using PDFs. Uh, do you want to uh, just give everyone a quick idea of w- how PDFs fit in your workflow and the future of that workflow? Sure. Yeah, I, I have um, – I'm, I'm kind of a pack rat with everything. And – when I started seminary, I made a very conscious decision that, you know, thing, I would be getting a lot of paper and I want to save it for files. And so when I was in Omaha, I had these huge file cabinets and I had things sorted by theme and by theological topic. And, you know, this is very helpful in my job because I could just pull something out and use it for an adult ed or whatever. So once I started getting, um, more technologically educated, I guess I, I started scanning it all in. And so now I have these literally thousands of PDFs on my computer. Um, some are OCR'd, some are not. Some are tagged, some are not. So one of one of the things I want to do is is make it more useful. Where for you know every week, for example, there's a, a specific Torah portion that corresponds to that week. So I want to find a way to maybe tag files with that with that thing. So if I'm writing a sermon on that, I can instantly find it and then kind of crib the best from, you know, various files that I have. And, you know, that involves a bit of tagging that involves sorting. And so um, those were some of the questions that I, I think I initially posed to you on kind of, you know, ways to do that, that are manageable and make sense and that I could continue doing. Right. And I should mention that that, that is how you and I met was, uh, repeated questions that I kept gladly answering as I am wont to do. And, uh, and then we eventually decided we should just talk and, uh, and that became a really interesting conversation. Um, and, and we talked about, uh, tagging and OCR on those PDFs and making something useful out of that collection. Um, I, I think if I, re- if I recall the conversation correctly, you, you kind of wanted to move away from PDFs as much as possible, correct? Well, I, w- I want to have them. I just want to be able to do something with them other than, you know, simply having kind of like a, a cold storage on my hard drive. Sure, sure. And the ones that aren't tagged or OCR'd are, are literally useless for you right now. Um, 
even probably less useful than just having paper in a cabinet. <laughs> well, yes, because some of them I've even neglected to name. And <laughs> with ScanSnap, you know, I'll have files named 12-7-2011. So that's not really that helpful. Exactly. Um, so, uh, and then you're using OpenMeta for tagging. And that's still a very manual process, even with some of the great tools that are available. Um, uh, so what are you using for OCR? Well, I was using, um, you know, I have the uh, demo version of PDF Pen, which I'm sure I will buy. Um, and then occasionally I use the uh, just the ScanSnap OCR. But when I'm scanning in lots of documents at once, which I am because I still have all this that I'm trying to convert to paperless, that the pause just doesn't work for me. So I'll end up scanning it without OCR and thinking I'll deal with it later. And I, now is later. Right, <laughs> it's right. time. Yeah, so now you have a backlog of uh, long pauses to go through. And uh, you use Evernote, right? I do, yeah. I have the paid version. Okay, and uh, and how much how much stuff do you have in Evernote? Uh, let me get in there right now. I think last I checked, I had about 280, but I just did a purge too. Yeah, I have 247 things in there right now. Oh, that's so not big. How do you... Oh, I didn't mean to be diminutive about that. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's another issue. and That's something you and I talked about too is I, I'm trying to figure out what's the best place for NVAlt, what's the best place for Evernote, what's the best place, or what are the best things rather for OmniFocus. And sometimes it's just kind of a default. So as a quick aside, I, I am reader on the iPad is probably my u- most used application. It, what's, it, what, it is what helps me actually keep in touch with real news in the world. Mm-hmm. And and I, I subscribe to probably more feeds than I should. So when I when I go through it every day, if there's something I want to read, I'll just hit the arrow and send it to Evernote. And then that becomes kind of the beginning of my filtering process. But then from there, it's not always so clear. Um, I love things like Spotlight that bring all of my systems together. So if I stick something in Evernote and then I stick something else in NVAlt and then I stick something else online in a you know cloud storage, the tools I have mean I can just type in a keyword and find it no matter where I put it. And that's the rule for adding something to my workflow is can I search it universally? Um, and how can you search Evernote in Spotlight? Oh, Evernote indexes. Uh, it uses metadata cache. So if you look for – if you type in – a phrase from one of your Evernote notes, you should see it come up as a spotlight result. Uh, you can also add kind colon Evernote to the search to narrow it down. Oh, I did not know that. That's great. It is actually very handy. It's those those kind colon searches and file name colon. Uh, kind, kind is actually a little overly specific. If you type in kind colon Photoshop, it won't find your file, but if you type in kind colon quote Adobe space Photoshop quote, then it'll find your file. Um, but if you use file name and you just type file name colon dot PSD, it's going to find all your PSD files. Uh, and you can do a- or file name PSB if you have both. And you, you get what I'm saying, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, Spotlight, Spotlight is ideal. It's not the fastest tool in the world. It's not the most... Uh, is not the most user friendly with the syntax. Um, 
Did you see Found? I did. I've been playing with that, uh, and I love it. Um, but I don't think it it works with external drives. Uh, not yet. And well, and the biggest thing for me right now is that it doesn't index content, and that's that's what makes Spotlight so amazing. Is I don't have to remember what I named a file, uh, or you know tags or anything like that. If I can just search for anything I might have written in that file, I can find the file. And right. and found is fast, and I love it purely. Uh, just the en- enormous undertaking that it is to try to replace a spotlight system with a with a faster index system, I I admire that. Uh, I just need it to I need it to handle my tags maybe, but definitely my content. It'll get there though. I think those guys are doing a really good job. Yeah, I mean it's a great first release, and you know I, I, it's free, so there's no reason not to try it. Um, and and I have liked it. I just uh, I'm I'm trying because of some tips you, you just said uh, to use Spotlight more, and then I also have Launch Bar, and so it becomes another question of you know when when to use each. But uh, yeah, it, it's on the list for for experimenting with. Well, I use I use Spotlight and Launch Bar. Um pretty much on a minute to minute basis. And I would say that, uh, spotlight is, I use it when I want to find a file, uh, launch bar. I use to find applications and navigate to files and folders that I already know where they are. It's my, it's my speedy way of getting to things, but spotlight is my speedy way of finding things. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And it, it's second nature for me at this point. If I, if I, if I don't know what I'm looking for, uh, just have basic idea. Um, it's I just automatically open Spotlight, which is Command Space for me. And then if I do know what I want, it's definitely Control Space and just a couple letters, and I'm there. Control Space is Launch Bar. I I didn't right. add that in, but yeah, I mean they're 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 two the two work side by side. If you if you launch Spotlight from Launch Bar. If you do a spotlight search in launch bar, it's going to open up a finder window, which is ideal in a lot of cases because you can do a lot more in a finder window. And we went over uh, on Sunday about uh, the multiple criteria and safe, uh, safe searches and mm-hmm. that kind of power you, you don't have in the menu bar interface. And a lot of people don't realize that that little search window at the top of finder is actually a power tool. Yeah, I didn't realize that at all until you explained it to me. Well, that feels like a pretty good place to stop and hear from our first sponsor, which I'm happy to say is Text Expander 4 from Smile. Text Expander makes it easier than ever to save time on repetitive typing tasks. The new features in version 4 include form options for the fill-in snippet pop-up, so you can include drop-down choices and optional controls. You can see all of this in action over at uh, smilesoftware.com slash 5x5. Check out the video there. The new Snippet Creation Assistant for first-time users makes it easy to start using Text Expander with snippets for basic information like email addresses and phone numbers. But you can get way more advanced than that, and you can see some of my work at uh, brettterpshire.com, and, uh, and you'll find out quickly that I'm a huge fan of Text Expander. Uh, Text Expander is just $15 for the upgrade for registered users, and, uh, and it's free if you purchased after January 15, 2012. The full version will cost you a mere $34.95, and it's available at smilesoftware.com slash 5x5. Note that Text Expander 4 is not available in the Mac App Store due to Apple's sandboxing requirements. 
Sad trombone. If you have Text Expander 3 from the Mac App Store, though, you can still get the upgrade price from Smile when you download version 4. I think Text Expander is going to come up a little bit in the next segment, so let's go ahead and start talking about email clients. Uh, what are you using right now, Eric? Right now, I'm using uh, just gmail.com. Uh, I played with Sparrow for a little bit, but I never really got into it. I'm just kind of used to Gmail. And uh, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of using Mail. I know they um, you know, added some things, certainly in Lion, and then a little bit more in Mountain Lion, but pretty much all on Gmail. I, it, Sparrow never stuck for me either, and I really like, uh, I really like working in Gmail. Uh, Mailplane, have you used that? I haven't, but I've certainly heard people talking about it. If you use the web interface for Gmail, I highly recommend finding Mailplane. Um, that is, it, it adds some more Mac-like shortcuts, but still has all the benefits of using Gmail's shortcuts and keyboard um, navigation and everything. However, all of that being said, I am actually a mail.app user, and I don't openly brag about that because uh, there's a lot of animosity towards mail.app out there. But when I mix in um, the uh, uh, mail act-on and mail tags tools uh, from InDev, Mm -hmm. it it becomes just the best uh, workflow for me because I I can... I can use folders as if they were Gmail tags. I can use local tags, and they're translated to open meta, so they work in all my spotlight searches along with all the content. And the whole interface just it works for me. Um, I'm actually really happy with it. I've tried everything. Uh, there, there's a few other really good ones. Postbox is from uh, from a feature standpoint amazing. It got too heavy. Uh, when I switched to my Air, I stopped using Postbox because it takes about 20 gigs uh, just to hold my email database. And that's when I started using Mailplane more because that takes zero gigs. Everything's in the cloud. And now oh, I like that. Now I'm back to Mail, which takes about 11 gigs, but um, I keep that trim. Vacuum my database. Um, do, you, do you have any specific uh, questions about uh, mail as a client or any other apps that I probably have experience with? Well, it, it not maybe so much of an app as kind of a, a mail feature or something that people use in email, which is signatures. And, you know, I, I this I, occurs to me every time I send an email to a, a developer or, you know, like the first time I emailed you, I, I have my rabbinic si- signature that says, you know, Shalom Rabbi Linder. And I, I could use kind of a more impersonal signature when I send things. I'm, I'm, that's something that I'd love to hear di- uh, different workflows for because I, I certainly, like many, I'm guessing, have the need for different signatures. Okay. So here's here's how I do it. And I happen to have this in my muscle memory to an extent that I really can't do it any other way at this point. Um, but uh, minus equals, unless I'm in... Uh, text editor where that would actually be useful for decrementing. Um, in, in my email app, if I type minus equals, which are right next to each other on the keyboard, that puts in dash Brett. And, and is that a text expander? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, definitely text expander for all of this. Um, I don't use mail signatures at all because I do change my signature depending on who I'm talking to and mail doesn't do a great job with that. Um, so, so minus equals is my standard. I just, I just signed, 
dash Brett. If they know who I am, if we talked before, that's all they need. Uh, short and sweet. If, uh, if I need a slightly more formal signature with my work contact information in it, I have a four-line signature that is entered if I type dash dash equals. And that's, uh, it, you know, it's one step away, Little takes a little bit longer, a little more thought, and that's the way that it works in my brain. It should take a little more thought. And then dash, dash, dash equals inserts a long signature with dynamic elements that was really more of a fiddling afternoon than anything else, but it's my kind of first contact. Uh, I'm a developer. I work for AOL. This is everywhere you can find me kind of signature. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I've used that one uh, twice. But uh, I, uh, every five minutes, I'm typing dash equals. Once a day or twice a day, I type dash dash equals, and then on special occasions, dash 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 equals. I, I like that. I, I might have to crypt that from you. You're welcome with, to try. With different names for the signature. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> but getting back to your the, the question you asked, I, I, I thought of something else is um, – you know, it, it, there seems to be kind of this proliferation of clients that help you sort your e email by important or not. Mm -hmm. And Brett, I feel like I just heard you. What, was it on Mac Power Users that you talked about? You liked? Um, it, it, was this you? Because if it's not, I'll stop rambling. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been on Mac Power Users for a little while, so if it was recent, it might not have been me. But I have talked about mail and workflows with them before. Yeah, it, it, it's a relatively new service. It's about five dollars a month. Sane, sane or oh, not? Oh, yeah, that's me. That's okay. okay. I've been talking not, about that for a while. And so I, I tried it, and, and you know the concept of it is great, but then you know I I get nervous that they're going to put something in the wrong place, or this doesn't belong there, and so it ends up becoming one for me anyway, um, one of those tools that it it just took extra kind of friction to I ended up checking everything anyway. Yeah, it um, takes some trust, right? And you check it, you check it uh, like twice a day for the first week, and you just if it if it missed anything. You just pull it into the right folder, and it learns immediately when you move it. Uh, and then um, after a couple weeks of uh, not having to move anything, you just you start having faith in it. I check my sane later folder, which is where it sticks things it doesn't think are important. I check that once a day after work. And it, for a month, maybe two now, I haven't seen anything in there that shouldn't be in there. Um, really impressed with it. I didn't, I didn't think it could happen at first. I thought that was thought the filters would be way too advanced to just keep uh, adapting like that, but uh, they work. Maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try it again. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not bombarded with hundreds of emails a day, so that's a little bit less of a of a concern of mine. And what I do, and I, I don't know if this is part of your workflow is when someone emails me something that I need to kind of act on, I'll just forward that to OmniFocus and I'll change the subject to, you know, something relevant that I can hopefully understand once it, once it hits the OmniFocus inbox. Exactly. That's exactly what I do. Uh, I've found that flagging messages in any mail app does not get things done and it does not surface them and it does not make them easy to sort. If something needs a response or an action and I can't do it right away in the first two minutes, it gets sent to OmniFocus and there it gets reviewed and it gets sorted and it gets finished. Um, even I even have rules uh, that will trigger if I tag uh, uh, an outgoing message with waiting, 
um, it will put a, a notice into OmniFocus that'll pop up in three days and remind me that I sent that email and haven't heard back from that person yet. And you can filter on using mail tags. You can you can build some complex filters like that, and uh, you can even have it automatically untag it when the person does reply. It, it's uh, it's totally nerdy, and it's one of those things you spend way too much time fiddling with. But but the the idea of sorting action emails out of your email it, to me is essential. And what you just said, I, I like that a lot. And what are you using to to do that workflow? Mail tags. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's i n d e v dot c a. I think it's just slash mail tags. But yeah, they have uh, they have two major product products. Actually, three now. Um, mail act on is keyboard shortcuts for mm-hmm. everything: jo- opening inboxes, moving. Uh, uh, between folders, uh, filing messages, and triggering your own actions, your own Apple scripts and things, including mail tag stuff. Uh, and then they have mail tags, which is basically it's it's for tagging, adding keywords and projects to emails, and then being able to create smart folders from those. And then there's another one they have called Mail Perspectives, which really cool idea. I, it just hasn't caught on for me because it's not the way I use email. Um, if you're looking at a different way to see mail.app, uh, check out mail perspectives. I'll add that to the Mac stuff to look into project. So you've got a workflow and it sounds like it's, it's, it's a smart one in my opinion, um, where you're removing all your, your action emails. Do you use, um, any kind of filing or extensive like foldering in your email? Well, no, and and that's that's a reason why I'm more prone to switch to mail mail dot app. I use labels extensively in Gmail, but in terms of folders, you know, it's just all stored uh, through Gmail. Well, and and folders translate to tags pretty well. Not the way Sparrow does it, but um, but in Mail, all your tags or your labels, I mean, will show up in your sidebar as folders. And if you drag something into that folder, it'll show up on Gmail as tagged with that, mm. um, or not tagged. I'm sorry, labeled. Uh, right. But and what if what if you have two labels? That's then? that's where I I haven't played with it much. I don't know if it understands that. I doubt it. I doubt it. Mail's kind of uh, it it goes in one place. It's a folder hierarchy. Uh, doesn't treat it as labels. But that's why I use mail tags in addition. I don't. I have two folders. Uh, that are for archiving. One is for personal receipts, and one is for things that I need to remember to expense. Everything else just goes in my inbox, and if I need to deal with it or remember it, it gets archived outside of email. Um, and I used to be religious about databasing my uh, my emails so that I could quickly search them. I would maintain uh, my own separate SQLite databases that I I could search instantly and find exactly the email I was looking for. But after about two years, I realized I I don't need emails after a year. I don't need it. And if it's within a year, I should be able to find a mail client that can search quickly and find, find emails. And mail doesn't search quickly. It's pretty horrible at it. But between Spotlight and mail search, I almost always find what I'm looking for. I wish it were faster, though. I wish it were mm. Gmail. Gmail has a great search. Yes, yes, it I, I, it does. 
There are times that if mail is paused for too long, I'll actually fire up Mailplane and find my email in Gmail and respond to it from there. So that gives you an idea of how slow it can be. So then do you use Mail.app for certain things and Gmail for others? Or I, well, yeah, I guess I do. Um, there, uh, When I need to do a lot of like filtering, searching, uh, stuff like that, I tend to lean toward jumping on the web and using the Gmail web interface or opening Mailplane. Um, for day to day, for getting my you know growl notifications when certain keywords are hit, and uh, seeing I use uh, badges on my dock, and I keep my dock hidden so that I can just uh, I can check it at my leisure and see what's badged. And Mailplane can do that with Gmail, but I just I don't know. It Mail fits my system well. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's what's easy to script for me. I can tie it in with OmniFocus. I can tie it in with uh, all of my other bizarre systems. Um, <laughs> right. Nothing, no other email client is as adaptable to workflows on the Mac as Mail.app is. It's got the only one I know of that has a decent AppleScript library. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely... Uh, well, that was a Rain Man moment. There is definitely a place for both Gmail and Mail in my workflow. Um, I'm going to take a, another break for a sponsor, and, uh, and we'll continue uh, briefly after that. Our second sponsor is MailChimp, easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or a laptop. And importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted. And you can personalize everything that your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. There's never been a better time to try MailChimp. You can send up to 2,000 emails to 12,000 people for free forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 to learn more. All right, so welcome back, and we are going to talk about one of my all-time all favorite things in the world now, um, and that is Markdown, John Gruber's uh, simple, plain-text markup language for creating web documents that's evolved into something that handles more formats and more syntax and can output a ton of different document formats now, but at its base, it's still a way to uh, handle your thoughts and your information in formats that will last for as long as humanity and, well, as long as computers do until Skynet eats it. But, um, but when Microsoft Word is obsoleted, you still have your text files and, and, you can tell everyone to get off your lawn because you still have everything and they're all trying to find web services that will convert their word perfect documents. Um, so how does, uh, how does plain text, uh, does it appeal to you, uh, as kind of a more, uh, coming from a PDF background, uh, more rich text. Are you using plain text a lot? Are you, do you want to, you know, more and more. And, and basically th this, this falls under the category of, people that I respect and think are cool are doing it. So I need to be doing it. And that, that's really it. Um, you know, I, I started just reading about Markdown a little bit. And then frankly, I, th I think that's how I first came across you. I mean, you have all those, you know, wonderful to tools that I, I don't yet understand. But 
Um, I think Max Sparky did a post on why he prefers plain text, and that that really spoke to me. From I, I've absolutely had that experience of the conversion and uh, of you know trying to get one document to work on another computer. And now that I'm starting to blog, it's a little bit of an issue. So I, I very much want to go as much plain text as I can. I've been seeing this gaining popularity. Even if I just look at sales of my my Markdown related application it just keeps growing. Like I think more and more people are realizing that there, there is a flaw in the whole idea of rich text and the formats change and people get stranded and it seems like it's, it's catching on. And I have a distorted view of how many people are actually doing this because to me, if, you know, if a thousand people were using Markdown, I'd, I would think that was a lot, but there are a lot more geeks in the world than I give it credit for. Um, and and I think that uh, plain text in general and Markdown specifically are amazing uh, tools specifically for note taking. They take friction out of note taking instead of uh, making it. You would think that something with the benefits that that plain text and Markdown have would actually have consequences in your workflow. But man, you, you you get used to it and you get used to searching it and trusting it as an archival system, and it just it works and it's so fast and tools like notational velocity and NB alt and, and your favorite text editor, are all uh, kind of frictionless parts of your workflow. Then even Evernote, if you, if you store everything as, as just plain text without any emphasis or anything, and then you can export uh, text y- using, there are a few ways you can pull it out, but you can actually make Evernote work as a plain text system too. You know, I w- is there a, I mean, I, I'm sure there is. Is there a good guide that you could point me to that, in terms of markdown syntax? I feel like there's so many things out there. I, I Part of me just doesn't know, like, the first step or the first few steps. Okay, so the first place you go, the first place anyone should go is to Daring Fireball, to uh, John Gruber's markdown syntax page where it all began. Mm-hmm. And then next, you should go to tuaw.com slash markdown dash primer, uh, where TJ and and I myself wrote uh, basically a, a dumbed down, quick, uh, anyone can do it kind of guide to getting started with markdown. Then lastly, if you decide you want to go into a more... Uh, something with extra syntax, then you should pick uh, like discount or multi-markdown or cram down. And there's a dozen different uh, Python and, and Perl and you, you pick a syntax and then you have to dive in and figure out all uh, that syntax. But that stuff's really easy. Once you get the basics from those first two sites down. Great. And no, that, that's it is exactly what I need. so easy. I mean, it's just, uh, you want to make something italics, you have the option. You can put asterisks around it. You can put underscores around it. They all come out the same. Like, it's whatever you're comfortable with. Personally, I, I use two asterisks on either side to make something bold, and I use a single underscore on either side to indicate italics. And I do that even when I'm not converting into HTML. It's just an easy way to, to imply emphasis without having to bold and italicize things. Um, and then my tools that you mentioned on my site are primarily for removing friction from things like building tables, which does get a little, uh, syntactically interesting. Um, especially in, uh, languages like multi-markdown and PHP markdown extra. 
it, that, it, it, you need some help. I, I think it's, it's important to remove as much friction as possible from doing that. Even, even with the time I spend fiddling with tools, still the fastest, most, uh, most frictionless workflow that I have had in my lifetime. And it really, it, it seems to me, even on with kind of iOS apps, that it used to be Dropbox integration was the was the cool thing. Now it seems that Markdown integration is it. It really used to be uh, a rarity. Like you'd be like, oh, this one has Markdown. I'm buying it. Now it's, now it's like, what else does it have? And and I, I'm I'm excited to kind of get into a little bit. Certainly from a, a blogging standpoint, specifically, and then kind of see from there where it can expand to but uh it's definitely something that i've wanted to play with what uh what text editor are you using right now Uh, byword okay um byword is perfect for what you want to do um byword really does provide all the keyboard shortcuts and they did a lot of the things that i was doing with external tools and they built it in i don't know if you've gotten into looking at all the like for example command option up arrow have you tried that no, but I'm loading it right now. Okay. It it expands a selection outward from your cursor by scope. So first it'll select a word and then a sentence and then a paragraph and then a document. And then you can use a down arrow to shrink it back in. It's a really handy tool once it gets into your uh, muscle memory. If you have to think too hard to use it or find uses for it, then it's, you know... That's what's beautiful about it, though, is that it's hidden. Uh, there's no interface that that you have to ignore. You just don't use it if it doesn't stick. Right. But they have a lot of cool sh- keyboard shortcuts like that, and they're all very elegant. Now, one thing that's kind of thrown me a little bit is I'm so used to typing, you know, Command I for italics, and I know that it, it it does use that shortcut. But then, because it puts the double in there. You, what I've been doing is I'll type and then I need to hit the the arrow key to get out of that, which I'm just not used to doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. Um, the uh, different editors handle it different ways. Uh, Sublime Text Two does uh, where it it'll select the entire uh, inserted portion and then you can just right arrow once to get past it. Um, but yeah, you're used to you hit the keyboard shortcut and the cursor's after the word and the word is modified. Um, the option arrow keys and um, Control A and E are my biggest tips for dealing with uh, different editors that put your cursor inside of a an emphasis after inserting it. Um, do you know Control A and E? I, I don't. Uh, they're old Emacs bindings and. Um, if you are on a line and you press control E that goes to the end of the line, control A goes to the beginning of the line, very similar to command arrows, Mm -hmm. but, um, well, you don't have to move your hand over to the arrow keys and they work in every single, uh, Mac application. You can use control A and control E anywhere. And then the difference, the major difference is if you're inside of a paragraph and you hit control A it's going to go to the very beginning of the paragraph, which is what it considers beginning of line. And Control-E will go to the very end of the paragraph, whereas Command-Arrow will just go to the left and right edges of the screen. So, oh, I see. So once you have uh, that in your muscle memory, it's really easy to uh, 
when you want to go to the beginning of the actual line that you're looking at, you command arrow. When you want to go to the beginning of the paragraph, you control A. That's great. It's great. It's one of those you probably for most listeners who just heard that they're probably like, um, "I'll never <laughs> remember that. I'm never going to use that." Well, I do so much. You know, in terms of sermons and things, I do so much writing of kind of short things, you know, three to five pages where the, the editing in there, there, there's lots of maneuvering, moving paragraphs around. So I could, I could see that being very useful um, and kind of getting in, into the muscle memory there. If you want to go crazy, uh, take a look at the key bindings I've been working on. I don't know if you've ever read about those. I have. Absolutely insane. Like, I don't recommend that anybody actually install that entire key bindings file because it will, it, it'll fry your brain. Uh, I don't even use it all. Um, but there are some amazing things you can do there. Should you have the weekend time and desire to <laughs> fill your fingers with... Uh, it's like learning guitar. Like uh, My keyboard is like a guitar for me. I have all these different chord positions and everything. Uh-huh. So I think uh, it's probably a good time to talk about our last sponsor, who is Shopify.com. Shopify is a hosted e-commerce solution that allows you to set up and run your own online store in minutes. Pick a template, add your product, pick your payment processor, including PayPal, Stripe, Authorize.net, and ship your stuff with just a few clicks. With Shopify, it's easy to sell online, and there's no software to download, host, upgrade, or maintain. Pick from over 100 professionally designed e-commerce templates or create your own with full control over the HTML and CSS. There are no bandwidth limits and no need to worry about scaling if, nay, when your store becomes popular. And every Shopify store is level 1 PCI DSS compliant and totally secure. All you need is something to sell. And you might have to look up PCI DSS. Visit shopify.com slash 5x5 and you'll get three months for free. Check them out today. Well, Eric, it's uh, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you very much for letting me talk about Markdown. I don't go too many places where people appreciate that. Um, so thanks for hearing me out. And... If, uh, if people are listening to this show and they wonder about Markdown, there are some links in the show notes. And if you're planning at all to continue listening to the show, you should probably at least take a look and figure out what I'm talking about because I tend to talk about it a lot. So anyway, thanks, Eric, for being here. And it's been a real pleasure to uh, talk your ear off. Oh, my pleasure I'm, for me as well. All right. Well, you'll find links for Eric in the show notes, uh, including RabbiEricLinder.com, where he blogs, and Rabbi Linder is his professional Twitter handle. You can also find him as Erox, E-R-O-X-X, on Twitter when he's playing a less rabbinical role. I blog at BrettTerpster.com, and that has three T's in the middle of it, which you may or may not ever get used to. Um, I personally have accepted it. I'm also on Twitter as TTScoff, just two T's, and feel free to contact me via the show forum or just tweet me any ideas or questions. And that's Systematic for the Week. We'll see you soon.